0: Hey, how's it going everybody? It's Trail. This is the Game Trail Podcast. Uh, I'm back. I took a little bit of a hiatus there. Uh, I had a late season Nevada archery deer tag and I went on a 10-day hunt. Had a great hunt. Killed a good buck. Uh, Since then, I've just been back in the office trying to get my feet underneath me. uh, Try to make sure that we keep producing the Big Hunt Guys podcast and ultimately I'm just preparing for the upcoming application season. Uh, this podcast is actually going to be completely devoted to application season and how to plan and prepare. Uh, it's a common question that I get asked all the time. You know, how do you put together a strategy to ensure that you get a hunting permit, you know, whether it's for mule deer, or elk, or antelope uh, in the West every single year? And those opportunities are out there. Uh, it does feel like you have to be more increasingly aware of how all the systems work, uh, whether it's a draw or an over the counter permit but you do got to be aware you got to do your research, but there definitely is a lot of opportunity. Um, you know, I've been sitting down the last few afternoons at lunch, just looking at my own personal strategy and looking at the opportunities that I may have available to me next year. And really, if you play the game, right, uh, if you, you look at it from a multi-state perspective, there really is no reason that you can't get a permit to go hunting each and every year. And this is something like I said I get asked all the time, so I did want to run through this podcast today and and primarily talk about that. How do you put a plan in place? What are the considerations? The questions that you have to ask yourself, and then ultimately, what tools are available uh, to you so that you can help yourself put a really solid plan in place? So that's kind of be the, the the gist of the podcast today. Um, before I get started, I want to hit you guys with a couple of promos. Um, It's research season, just like I said. Applications are going to start to open up uh, mostly that January time frame all the way through about May, June time frame. So everybody's kind of digging in and doing some research. Uh, Gohunt.com, which is who I work for, uh, we have a product for people. It's a subscription service called Gohunt Insider. Hopefully, most of you that are listening to this are already members. If you're not, uh, and at the end of this, if you've kind of listened to everything that I'm going to give you, you think you would like to sign up, and you think it could help you in putting together a strategy and then getting a permit and then ultimately getting out into the field this fall, you can use the promo code GAMETRIAL. That's G-A-M-E-T-R-A-I-L. You can sign up for a Go Hunt Insider account, and we're going to give you 50 points back into the Go Hunt Gear Shop. That's $50 that you can use towards the purchase of any gear that you want in the shop. Uh, if you just want to sign up for Go Hunt Maps, you can also use the promo code Game Trail. If you do that, we're going to give you 20 points back into the Go Hunt Game sh- uh, into the Go Hunt Gear Shop. Uh, my words getting twisted there. Um, I also wanted to thank Matthews, Matthews Archery being a sponsor of the podcast. Uh, those guys have been so good to me. Uh, they produce a phenomenal product. You know, I used that bow throughout the fall. I was able to take an elk. Uh, also took a really nice mule deer buck uh, in Nevada here maybe, I guess it's been about a month ago already. Man, time flies. Uh, but that bow, the new bow, the lift, uh, shoots so incredibly well. Uh, I've been playing with the new shot sensor a lot the last few weeks in my basement here seems like every time that I got to get up and stretch the legs or walk upstairs and get a sandwich or something, I'll grab three or four arrows and I'll shoot a few. And I've really been playing with this shot sensor. And I think in the future, I'm going to do a complete episode that I just devote solely to the Matthews shot sensor and how that thing works and really what I think uh, people can do with it. It's a super cool product. Uh, I mean, I got to be honest, if you're kind of an archery nerd, or even if you're just somebody that wants to improve their shot process if you want to be able to tinker with stabilizer weights and angles of your back bar or you know work on your hold uh, release time kind of get that more consistent or work on the torque whether you want to play with different grips in your bow to kind of work the torque out of your bow with your grip Uh, this tool gives you real time data that you can use to then kind of start to tinker and play with some of these things so it's a super cool product. I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm way excited to see what, uh, the potential is for this thing. And I think they've done something that's, um, it really puts the power in your hand to improve as an archer, because I think so many times, you know, we, we think we're doing the right thing. We kind of feel like maybe the ball's holding, holding well, you know, maybe our scores get a little bit better, but then maybe they dip, but, you know this sensor is going to give you real data and you know the lift has just been an absolute pleasure to shoot just super fun fun boat to to shoot so i mean that was long-winded but i do want to recognize and and i appreciate matthews as a sponsor of the podcast uh so with that this is going to be a solo episode um like i said i'm going to be more consistent getting into the new year uh this one should drop hopefully this week if not you know right after christmas Give you guys something to listen to if you uh, <laughs> if you got a you know a trip to the in-laws or something and you need to escape and find a corner to listen to a podcast. Hopefully this will drop so that you you got something to listen to. Either that or maybe your drive home, right? Um, so like I said, we're gonna have some guests in the future, but this one's gonna be a, a solo podcast, and I wanted to do that because uh, I wanted to try to answer a lot of these application strategy questions that I get asked continually. And hopefully this will help people and you know i ultimately my goal uh with this is you know help people put put a plan in place and you know get a permit to go hunting um you know i want people to go hunting i want them to to get a chance to experience some of the things that i have Um, so with that i'm going to jump in uh first and foremost i think one of the most important things when you start looking at your application strategy going into a new year uh, there's a series of questions, and I think first and foremost is what do you want to hunt? What do you want to hunt? Do you want to hunt archery elk? Do you want to hunt mule deer? Do you want to hunt antelope um do you want to hunt moose sheep or or goat or bison you know or one of those species on your your bucket list? So you really got to kind of decide what it is that is going to be your priority for you that year um you know for me, everybody's a little bit different. I mean, I obviously, I want to hunt, I want to hunt them all. (laughs) I want to hunt archery elk every single year. You know, I want to hunt mule deer. I love mule deer hunting. I love archery antelope hunting. And then if I could draw a sheep or bison or one of those, um, you know, quote unquote, once in a lifetime species, then, you know, I want to do that as well. And those would take priority should I draw a permit. But really for me, I always want to go archery elk hunting. So that's kind of always in the back of my mind of, Uh, My application strategy is how do I put the best archery elk tag in my pocket every single year? And then if I can fill that in with an antelope hunt, you know, maybe an August antelope hunt or a mule deer hunt um, early September or late August in my case here in southern Utah, maybe an archery hunt or, you know, maybe even like a late rifle hunt for mule deer Those kind of come secondary to me. Um, You know, this year I'm also really, really wanting to go on a late season whitetail hunt, archery uh, whitetail hunt. So that's kind of working in my mind. So really, I I think that's one of the first questions you got to ask yourself is like, what is your priority? What do you want to hunt? And I would say that for me, looking at 2024 uh, archery elk, I want to get the best permit that I can. And then secondarily, I would say... Probably whitetail, that November whitetail. That's something I really want to try to do. Uh, I've been following along with some YouTube channels lately, uh, specifically these, these guys at Seek One. Just such a cool platform and just a really neat concept. Um, you know, I love what those guys are doing with kind of hunting urban interface whitetail and and just the gamesmanship that goes into that. You know, those guys are figuring out where these big bucks are and then, you know, working that landowner, um, you know, method to try to find, opportunity and permission to go hunt and just i i am so intrigued by this entire process of of some of these guys that are hunting you know big whites tail like that so you know i don't know what it's going to be um i kind of narrowed it down i'm looking at some states like maybe missouri or wisconsin you know i've got some points in kansas i've got some points in iowa um that's kind of what i'm looking at this year and those are going to be my two priorities i would say first and foremost and and like i said i think that's probably one of the first questions that you need to ask yourself Uh, second, I would say what season and weapon do you want to hunt with? Um, I'm primarily a bow hunt, bow hunter. Uh, I'm not opposed to hunting with a muzzleloader or a rifle. I like those hunts, but I think the older I get, um, I just more interested in bow hunting. And primarily it's because of that feeling that I get from getting close to an animal and being able to, you know, keep my nerves and execute a shot. And I just love archery in general. So, i'm mostly looking at bow hunts um i will say that when i started bow hunting one of the major driving factors for me in getting into bow hunting was that those tags were more readily available and i would say that has decreased some um because it does seem like there's a lot of people that are picking up compound bows and arrows and and they're getting out into the woods to hunt every single year so it seems like some of those odds are dipping but i would say generally speaking those are still your best bets get a permit to go hunting is an archery hunt so i would say you know if you've kind of been teetering on you know maybe dipping your toes into archery i would say you know think about it consider it because like i said those permits are more readily available the draws are a little bit better than they are for a lot of the rifle hunts so that's something you want to think about um i think you ought to think about the weapon that you want to hunt with and the season primarily in the west most of your archery hunts are going to be that August uh, through September time frame. Really, if you start looking at rifle hunts, most of those are going to run from you know, October through November. There are some exceptions. There are some states that have got some rut rifle elk hunts, but for the most part, those seasons are later in the year. You're looking at really an October-November time frame. So you got to think about that. Um, so yeah, I think between those two questions, you should kind of start moving down the path of what you're you're looking for. Uh, third questions, I always ask somebody when they ask me. Uh, I always ask them, what is your objective? Is your objective to kill, you know, any buck, any bull, any legal buck or bull? Is it to try to maximize the trophy potential? Are you trying to kill, you know, a 350 bull or you know, 180 inch mule deer buck or an 80 inch antelope? And everybody's kind of got to decide on their objectives. And depending on what your objective is, is going to dictate the tags that you apply for. Now, understandably, when you get up into those types of hunts where the animals are going to be trophy quality, 350 bull, 180-inch mule deer, you know, 80-inch antelope, those permits are extremely sought after. And for the most part, right now in the West, uh, those units that are producing those kinds of animals are doing so because they are managed for that type of experience, which means often that there are, you know, limited quota. So there's a a limited number of permits, which in turn, you know, causes trophy quality to be really good. And, you know, the odds to draw those permits become low. So that's something you got to think about. If you're really only dead set on trophy caliber animals, um, your odds of drawing permit definitely go way down. Uh, if you're, still wanting to kill a trophy quality animal and you don't want to wait or you don't want to deal with those units that the odds are extremely low you know there are means to hunt and harvest trophy caliber animals on easy to draw units but typically those are going to be much more difficult hunts they're going to require you to be extremely patient it's going to require you to you know probably do some pre-season scouting as much as you possibly can um, you know, there's some tips and tricks. You got to think about uh, age class and animals and how do animals in highly pressured areas get age to them. You know, maybe they are finding refuge on private land. Maybe they're finding refuge in really remote, steep, deep country. Um, you know, maybe the permits have like recently been lowered in this unit for the last few years. Uh, so there's like all these little things that you can kind of start to tinker with and pull apart. To really try to find those opportunities for bigger animals on tags or units that are much easier to draw but i do think you have to be you know thinking about your objectives um so and and that's really going to help dictate the permits that you apply for or that you buy okay fourth i would say one of the biggest considerations you'll need to make is how much money do you have to spend and the money that you have to spend is that purely on applications? Is that purely on you know a permit? Uh, reality is is that applying throughout the West it, it can be pretty expensive, especially if you're applying for you know six or seven states. I would say annually, I probably spend about two thousand, maybe you know twenty five hundred dollars somewhere in that neighborhood just simply in applying and building points, whether that's preference points or bonus points. I'm going to dive into that here a little later. Um, so it's not cheap. Um, you know, in saying that, 2500 bucks is, in my opinion, worth it to me because it's what I value. I want to go out. I want to haunt. I want to have those opportunities year after year. And really the key to getting those chances is building the proper points year after year after year so that I have an option to go to you know one state one year and another state the next year. Uh, so I would say kind of think about your budget and then as I go through this, uh, I'm probably going to say this more times than once, but really a lot of applications are a cost-benefit analysis. It's looking at your opportunity to drive permit versus the cost of building points and applying year after year after year after year and seeing if it's worth it to you. So there is a lot of cost benefit analysis. And a lot of that, like I said, is based on your odds to draw permit against the cost of applying and building those points year after year. So set a budget, you know, be realistic with it. You know, if, if you're if you don't have a lot of money to put into it, there are certainly states that are more economical to apply in. And, you know, I think the bang, the biggest bang for your buck are in some of those states like, a, you know, Colorado, I think is an excellent opportunity to apply, build a few points, go on an elk hunt. Same with mule deer. I think that's a state uh, that you definitely should have on your list. And I'll, I'll get into that. But, um, you know, this is a I will, I'm going to stop real quick and say this is a pretty complex topic to cover completely, and this is why our insider research platform is so extensive and so uh, easy to navigate because all this kind of information is so readily available to you. So. Uh, anything that I'm saying that you might have a question about, uh, I would highly encourage you to to get an insider research account, you know, f- try a free trial and just do some digging around and looking at it and, and hopefully it'll answer any questions that I did not. Uh, fifth, I'm going to hit my fifth point. Something you got to think about is how much time do you have to hunt and put into a hunt? And I say that because I think you want to start thinking about it as soon as possible. Uh, And you want to start thinking about potentially getting those days off. You want to start preparing your family. You know, if you got a wife and kids or a husband, you know, you want to start talking to those individuals hey, this is what I'm thinking, uh, and really start to get way out ahead of that so that everybody's expectations are on the same page. So that's definitely something you want to think about, and I would say that's probably number number five. Uh, next, I'm going to jump into just like some general tips and things that I think you also ought to take care of before you start to apply. Uh, first, you've got to have a debit card or a credit card with enough room to apply. So you know, if you're going to put everything on a debit card, you have to make sure that you've saved up the money. Uh, If you're going to put things on a credit card, uh, you definitely have to have enough room to cover the cost of your application and then also the cost of the permit should you draw. Um, It depends on how much you want to apply for because it can get really expensive. And I'm going to give you an example. So There are some states, uh, New Mexico is one of them, I'm just going to use as an example, where you essentially have to front the cost of the month, the permits that you apply for. And if you're unsuccessful in the draw, they will refund you the cost of the permit back to your credit card. And they're typically pretty quick. Uh, In New Mexico, there are some states like Wyoming that does the same thing. Specifically for elk, you have to apply in January. Uh, You're not going to see that money hit your credit card back if you're unsuccessful in the draw until May. So that one's a little bit tougher to stomach. Uh, but you do have to front those costs. And in some cases they're pretty expensive. You're talking, you know, maybe thousand, several thousand dollars, depending on what you apply for. So you want to make sure that you've got enough room on your credit card or your debit card. Uh, in some cases, I think it's worth it to grab a couple credit cards and you, you have to assume that for the most part, you're probably not the luckiest person in the world. So a lot of those fees are going to come back to those cards, so it's not a tremendous deal, but you do have to have the room to, to cover them when you apply. Um, secondarily, this is just a tip I would throw out. Uh, in my opinion, I think it makes the most sense to hunt your home state. So if you live in the West, uh, first and foremost, I would start your research with your own state. Uh, and there are some really great opportunities to hunt if you're a resident of one of these Western states, including Idaho. Phenomenal opportunities to hunt. Wyoming, I don't know that it gets any better. You know, if I was looking to move to a western state uh, to hunt as being, you know, a primary uh, factor in in moving, um, Wyoming would be it. I mean, they just really have so many opportunities as residents there. And then, you know, thirdly, I would say Montana, if you're a resident of that state. And same with Colorado. You know, there's a lot of hunts that take non-residents many points to draw in a state like Colorado where a resident can draw those far easier and far quicker. So that's another great opportunity state. But I think your opportunity to find success uh, on a good animal or just find success in general, those are much better if you start with your home state first. I know that for me, biggest bucks, best bulls I've ever killed, uh, even antelope as well, uh, have all come from my home state of Utah. And that's just because it's so close to home that I can do some scouting. I can hunt it that much more effectively. So it's fun to think about hunting other states, but I would say fill in uh, your hunts with your home state first. Uh, now, for people that are traveling, whether you're from the Midwest, the East, the South, um, I would say look first and foremost at the states that are closest to you. And again, I would say that because uh, travel time is can be significant. And, you know, if, if you're hunting with a group of buddies and you can still a weekend during the summer to go out and familiarize yourself with your unit that you're hunting, that's a major benefit. So the closer that uh, state is to you, I think the more effectively you can hunt it. So I would say start with your closest state, start with your closest opportunities first, and then, you know, work out from there. Uh, secondarily, uh, I get... I get asked this a lot. Um, you know, people will ask me, "Let's say you've got 10 days to hunt. Uh, would you try to break that hunt up into two different hunts between you know two different species, or maybe even uh, two different states? You know, maybe people are thinking, 'Oh, I want to hunt a new species in a new state.' And I certainly understand that drive, um, but I would tell you that my advice to you would be to uh, focus on one species. So if you've got 10 days to hunt, Focus on one species and one hunt. Um, I'm not a big proponent of people doing combo hunts. Uh, I think a lot of people eat a lot of tags because it's really hard to try to focus on two different species because in a lot of cases they live in different types of environment. I just think it's a distraction and I think it's really hard to effectively combo hunt uh, two different animals in a 10 day stretch. Now, if you've got the extra money and there's an opportunity to buy an over-the-counter permit, you know, a state like Colorado, and you've got an overlapping deer tag that you drew, um, you know, go for it if you've got the funds to do it. Uh, If not, I would say, you know, don't worry about it. Really just focus your time on one species, one hunt. And I, I think this is my personal opinion, just from experience, and then also in talking to a lot of people. I think that uh, you will be more satisfied. You will get better results if you really focus your time off on hunting one species, and you know, one state, one one unit. Um, I think sometimes western hunting, specifically, and probably probably Midwest for whitetail as well, because I see you guys putting a lot of time in in the tree stands out there. But it takes time. It really does take day after day after day of trying to figure some of these animals out. I know that there have been hunts that I've gone on specifically for archery elk where it may have taken me, you know, six, seven days to really put together, uh, you know, where the animals are moving and living and where they're transitioning and where they're watering. And I think those consistent days in the field have really helped me uh, harvest some animals. Whereas if I was trying to jump around between different states or different tags or even different species, I don't think that I I would have found success. Um, Another point I would make, this is kind of um, on the tail end of that, would be to develop or think about having reasonable expectations for your hunt. Um, And I say that because I think everybody thinks that they're going to, you know, come out and and possibly kill a trophy caliber mule deer buck or, you know, a trophy bull elk. And in reality, a lot of the hunts that are available to most people uh, are not going to produce, you know, record book type animals. Uh, You take an over-the-counter hunt in a state like Colorado for elk, Um, most of those animals are going to be of a younger age class because it's an opportunity-style hunt. Uh, You know, so develop, do some research, and have reasonable uh, expectations for the types of animals that you you might see. You know, if you draw a general season deer tag in a state like Utah, um, there's some giant bucks that are killed every year. I was really lucky this year, and I killed a really good buck. But I also put in a lot of time, and I live locally. And I think people see that. Uh, or in other units, they see it and they think, man, there's some really good animals in this unit. You know, I'm really going to hang the moon this year. And you might, uh, but reality is, is it's, in most cases, these are general season opportunities. They're relatively easy to draw. And for the most part, the animals that you're going to see are of a younger age class. Uh, and again, I, you got to have expectations. You have to have objectives. And those both kind of have to be in, in alignment. So it's something that you want to think about. Every year I talk to people that, you know, they go on a hunt, really excited for it, they're jazzed up, they've done all the research, and then they kind of follow up with me on the back end, and it's, it's always a bummer to hear that they were, you know, disappointed in what they saw, and I would say in most cases it's because people going into those hunts had high expectations that were probably unrealistic, so I would say do some research prior to applying, um, you know, think about your objectives, You know, think about expectations and go into your hunt with reasonable expectations and reasonable expectations for your applications before you even apply. Uh, So those are just kind of some general ideas to to think about before you get started. Uh, I did want to do a portion of this podcast where I really dive into the details of uh, applications and how permits are allocated throughout the West. So really, permits in the West are allocated through two different means, and I would say, you know, one being a state lottery, a drawing, where they are going to uh, require you to put your application in, you're going to apply, and then they're going to conduct some sort of drawing, and they're going to allocate permits that way. The other way that states do it are they make those permits essentially available over the counter to purchase. Uh, Now, those opportunities have gotten in more limited those true over-the-counter opportunities where you can just simply you know show up or you know buy a permit online those have gotten a little bit hard to find they still exist but they, they've definitely gotten tougher so that's why it's super important to really understand how these state lottery and draw systems work so that you can then uh, apply, and if you don't get a permit, then you can start looking at these over-the-counter opportunities that are available to you as a backup. You can kind of keep those in your back pocket. So those are really the two ways that uh, they're going to allocate permits. Uh, draw systems vary by state. And you should be aware that every state does things their own way. And you should be aware and do some research on how each individual state runs their draw process and how their draw system works. Uh, there are... Mostly, I would say, three or four types of uh, draws. Uh, The first being a pure random draw, meaning it's totally random. Everybody's on the same playing field. Uh, A couple of examples of states that allocate their permits that way would be a state like New Mexico or Idaho. Uh, You simply apply. You apply for the hunts that you want, and they're going to conduct a random drawing. There's no points associated with it no bonus points, no preference points, it's just purely a random drawing, and you just cross your fingers and you hope you get lucky. So those that's an uh, opportunity and, and, and one means that they uh, allocate permits. Uh, another way that states allocate permits is through random draws with a bonus point system. So a state that allocates permits that way would be a state like Nevada. Uh, And Nevada, for example, what they do is you apply, you get five choices when you apply, and they're going to conduct a random drawing. And for every year that you are unsuccessful for all five of your choices, you're going to get a bonus point, provided that you, you know, paid the money to, to gain a bonus point that year. So when you uh, get that bonus point, you can start to accrue bonus points over time, and with each bonus point, your odds of drawing a permit each year go up, because they're going to square those bonus points, and so you're increasing your chances to draw a permit over time. But it's still a random drawing. Uh, The interesting thing about states that do their drawings that way are that you always have a chance. So if I apply, uh, like I did this year in Nevada, you know, I had a decent number of points, but the hunt that I applied for um, was extremely low odds. But I drew that permit because, as I said, it is a random drawing. I know, you know, we had Ethan in our office that drew a desert bighorn sheep tag in Arizona. Uh, that was purely uh, because he drew a random permit. So there is those opportunities uh, to, to draw as long as there's a random component of that drawing. So you want to look at those states, especially if you're new to getting into the process. Uh, The next draw system that I would talk about would be uh, pure preference point draws. Uh, An example of that would be a state like Colorado. So Colorado for antelope, deer, and elk is a true preference point state. And what that means is the individuals that apply for any given hunt with the most preference points are going to be allocated the permits. There's no random component of that. So if you do not have the number of preference points that it has been requiring, or more than that number, in essence you have no chance to draw uh, that hunt. So that's a example of a pure preference point system. Um, You definitely have to be aware of things like draw odds when you look at a state like Colorado because you can essentially use the number of permits that were allocated and the breakdown of the number of applicants that applied at each point level and you can almost kind of predict how many points it's going to take the following year for you to draw that permit. So that's how a true preference point system works. Uh, Colorado is probably the best example of that. And like I said, they do that for their deer, elk, and antelope. Uh, And again, it's like a bonus point. So every year that you're unsuccessful in the drawing, you're you're going to get an extra preference point, which the next year would give you preference over somebody that uh, applied with less points. Uh, And then lastly... uh, hybrid draws. So these are draws that are kind of a combination of preference points or bonus points and a random component of the draw. So I can give you some examples of that. So Utah is a good example of a hybrid draw. So for, you know, limited entry species, including mule deer, elk, uh, you know, once-in-a-lifetime species like moose, sheep, goat, bison, uh, limited entry antelope, Those species are allocated under this hybrid bonus point system. So, in essence, what they do is they're going to give half of the permits for any given hunt to the individuals with the most bonus points that apply. And the other half of the permits they are going to randomly allocate, they're going to do a random drawing uh, with weight given to the number of bonus points that you have. So, if I've got six bonus points, and I apply for a limited entry elk tag, and that is not enough to get me into that pool where I would be guaranteed a permit, Um, they're gonna give me six chances, in essence, to draw a permit within that random pool. And the great thing about these hybrid system is it rewards people for continuing to apply, apply year after year after year, you know, essentially guaranteeing you a permit if you apply long enough, But it also gives you the opportunity to draw a random permit and your odds get a little bit better every single year that you continue to apply and accrue bonus points. Now there are some hybrid systems that uh, do not weight your points in the random draw. Um, One of those examples would be a state like Wyoming. So a percentage of their permits are going to be given to the people that apply with the most preference points. And then the other percentage is going to be randomly allocated by among everybody else that didn't draw a permit. And that is irregardless of the number of points you have. Everybody is on an equal playing field for those permits. So that's kind of an example of a hybrid draw and how they can differ. And again, this is why it's really important to kind of understand how each individual state allocates their permits and how their systems work. And I know as I'm talking, I can I can hear it. I, I can hear the smoke turning. You know, if you're unfamiliar with this type of information in in people's ears, but I promise you that all this information is available through uh, these application strategy articles that we do, and also within the state regulation regulations sections of our Insider platform. All this information is available to you. You can really dive through it, and it really doesn't take that long of just looking through. And reviewing this information and kind of reading it to start to put the puzzle pieces together and really start to figure it out. Uh, so next I'm going to jump down. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, what a, a bonus point and a preference point is. And I did a little bit. Um, like I said, a bonus point is is in essence going to give you greater chances over time. Whereas, for the most part, a preference point is essentially going to give you preference over other applicants that apply with less points than you have going into that draw. And in every case, you're going to gain a preference point or a bonus point by applying and being unsuccessful in in the draw. Or there are some states that allow you to simply buy points only. Uh, even a state like Wyoming or Montana will allow you to buy points in an off-season. So through the summer, through maybe the early fall, you can actually just buy points without ever having applied in the main draw. Um, but you want to be aware of bonus points and preference points and how those can increase your tr- your odds over time because you want to make sure that you're applying and you're building and you're accruing those because that's really your gateway into ensuring that you're going to be able to draw a permit in some state year after year after year after year. So you wanna be aware of that. Um, When I start looking at my strategy, so I'm gonna jump down to kind of looking at how I put together my strategy for the year. And I kind of already touched on the things that I think that you ought to consider before you really get going. So you know, once again, I would just rehash and say, those things are gonna be, what do you wanna hunt? What seasons do you wanna hunt? What are your objectives? You know, how much do we have to spend and how much time do you have to hunt? So once you've got those, uh, one of my very first steps is to take the number of point, points that I have, I've accrued in the various states for the various species, and I want to save those. And I want to put them in a place that I can start to look look at those and I can evaluate them against the draw odds that I might be able to draw permit for any given hunt. Now your GoHunt Insider account has a really cool feature they call Point Tracker, and what that allows you to do is it allows you to go into your profile within your Insider account and it allows you to add your points for the various dates and the various species. Now if you don't have any points, that's okay too. Uh, It's a great place to start your research and then as you start to accrue and apply your points, you can go through and start to update those. And there's definitely, like I said, there's hunts that you can still get with no points. There's a lot of elk hunts. There's actually quite a few deer hunts in a state like Colorado um, that you can draw with with no points, no preference points. So, you know, it's not it's not lost. There's still an opportunity for you to, to to go hunting. But one of my very first steps before I really even start thinking about individual units or you know anything else is to go through, look up my points in each western state and usually I will do that by just simply you know googling um, you know for example Wyoming preference point lookup and you're gonna go into their website you're going to put in your username your password if you've established one and I'm gonna look up the number of preference points I have for each species and then I'm gonna go back into my insider account and I'm going to update my point totals for each species And the cool thing about doing it this way within your insider account is that it's gonna save those. And as you start to research through draw odds or even filtering, uh, it's gonna highlight your point level. So you can immediately start to look at draw odds at your point level going into that draw. Um, I mentioned it before, uh, draw odds. Draw odds is huge. Um, It really is the key to drawing permits. Uh, Recently we were you know, talking about the, our product, that insider research product and, you know, the various tools that are available to people, including, you know, filtering, uh, draw odds, um, you know, application strategies. And, you know, we've done some surveys, we did some looking at the website and filtering, which allows people to, you know, filter by trophy potential, uh, by harvest success, by draw odds, uh, by public land percentage, um, that tool is really powerful and you can use that to really start to filter through a whole bunch of information very quickly. Uh, But I was a little bit surprised to find out that that is hands down the most used product within our platform. And I say I'm a little bit surprised because personally for me, I think one of the most powerful tools and probably the one that I spend the most time in is our standalone draw odds page. And that's where you can click on draw odds. You click your you click on the state, uh, you select the species that you're interested in, and you're going to be able to see all hunts that are available in that state for that species uh, for all point levels, but your point level that you included when you, you did your point tracker is going to be highlighted, and it very easily allows me to scroll down through, and I can start to look at the the units or the hunts that I may be able to potentially draw that year that are closest to my point level. And when I'm doing that, I'm looking for the best hunt. So, for example, I'll tell you I've got I think 9 or 10 points in Colorado. So, when I look at standalone draw odds for elk in Colorado, and like I said, I'm I'm primarily looking at those archery elk hunts, I'm scrolling down through the archery hunts for elk and I'm looking for those hunts that were drawn last year at that seven, eight point level. And I'm looking at those because I wanna maximize the potential of the points that I've accrued. Now, if I've got no points, and I just wanna look to see what was available with no points, that's very easy also to see within that standalone Draw Odds page. Very quickly, you can find the hunts that are available to you just by simply scrolling through those standalone Draw Odds pages and looking for those hunts that are available just below your point level. And like I said, you really want to start to maximize the points that you built up, maximize your opportunity. Now, if you don't have any points, like I said, there's still hunts available. Uh, at that point, you're going to want to start looking at things like harvest percentage. You're going to want to start looking at maps and start evaluating the, the terrain to see uh, what's available as far as matching your hunt style with the area and I say that because maybe you're a backpacker, you want to get away from people, you want to hunt remote country, I would probably start looking for units that have remote wilderness type terrain that are easy to draw, no points, and it allows me to hunt the style that I want to hunt. Now, if I want to hunt an area that's got good access, I can very easily find that by looking at maps and looking at roads and trails and those kinds of things, and I can start to match up hunts that make the most sense to me. So, there are those things that can help you, um, you know, even at looking at my point level, if I've got three or four hunts that are, you know, within one within one or two points of my point level, you know, at that point, I'm also starting to look at things like harvest percentage. And again, I'm looking at maps. I'm looking for an area that's going to match my style of hunting and my objectives for my hunt. So that's kind of how I tackle that. Um, And like I said, updating your points is probably the very first process and and then um, starting your research from there. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the different species that I apply for year after year and really kind of what your bread and butter is. And I wanted to talk first and kind of get this out of the way if I will. I wanted to talk about... uh, those once in a lifetime type species and I I say once in a lifetime is because for the most part the odds are so long that you probably will not draw more than one in your lifetime. Some states if you draw a permit for these species it truly is once in a lifetime. You can only have one permit ever in your lifetime and I'm really talking species like bison, moose, bighorn sheep, mountain goats. Those species are extremely sought after. The odds for drying those permits are very, very tough. And every year I get questions from people that say, I really want to do a Rocky Mountain Bighorn sheep hunt, or I really want to do a Shyrus moose hunt. And, you know, how do I do that? What state has the best opportunity? And, you know, can I do that in the next five years? So I wanted to be realistic with you guys and just tell you that for the most part, most of us may never, highly likely, will never draw a permit for those species, and that's just because they're you know so highly sought after. The odds are so long, and unless you've been playing the game since you know early mid 90s and you've built up a ton of preference or bonus points, depending on the state. Uh, the chances to draw those permits are really, really low. Um, so, in those cases, it's not that I don't want to hunt them, it's not that I don't apply for them, I just simply apply for them where it makes the most sense. Um, and I say that because there are some states where I don't apply for those species because it doesn't make uh, sense for me economically. Um, there's some states that it just the cost of applying is too high. And I don't feel like the odds are uh, good enough that it causes me to continue to apply for those species. So typically those species, my applications and my, uh, my recommendation to most people would be if you were applying for other species in, in a state. Uh, take, for example, Arizona. If you're applying for elk, antelope, mule deer, and you're building points... Uh, you're going to have to buy a hunting license in order to apply for those species. So for the additional minimal application fee, I would also throw in your applications for species like Desert Bighorn. Uh, a state like Nevada, also very similar. If you're going to go down that path with Nevada, you're going to buy the hunting license to then apply for species like Mule Deer, Antelope, and Elk. It's a minimal additional cost to also apply for bighorn sheep. Uh, Utah non-residents can apply for all species and there is a random portion of that draw and also I should have stated that but I only apply for states and for those species where it is randomly allocated so there's a chance to randomly draw a permit. Uh, In a state like Wyoming they've pretty severely limited The number of bighorn sheep and moose permits up there, for the most part, there really isn't a random component of those species. So for me, it does not make sense to apply for those species because I just will never, I don't and will never have the number of preference points to draw those species. So there are some states that I don't apply for them. And I I tell people this, you really have to look at those species and be smart about your applications because you don't want to throw money away And you really only want to apply if you legitimately have some random chance to apply. And I would also tell you, I really only apply for those species when I'm also applying for other species in that state to kind of make it worth my time. To me, I kind of look at it like a raffle ticket. I'm buying maybe a $15 raffle ticket, uh, you know, aka application fee to apply for those species and just hope that I get lucky and draw. So that's kind of how I look at those species. Uh, I wanted to, to touch on that because I know there are a lot of people that you know, have big dreams of drawing permits for those species, but really uh, the odds are extremely long and I, I, I would highly suggest that you look at it from a, a perspective of applying where it makes sense and just don't throw your money away needlessly. Uh, next topic I wanted to say is really uh, your bread and butter in the West is going to be deer, elk, and antelope. And those are going to be the the three species, and really those are the three species that I base my whole entire plans on every single year. If I was to get lucky and draw another species like bighorn sheep or bison, that would be my priority and I would be over the moon and excited. But really my plans every single year are for deer, elk, and antelope when you look at those three species, there are a couple different types of hunts. So there are your opportunity hunts, and there are your quality hunts. And there's some that are kind of in between. Um, And some of them are available over the counter, and some of them are only available uh, through draws. Uh, But really, you got to kind of decide if you're going to look at an opportunities type of hunt or a quality hunt. And I feel like with elk, specifically, speaking of elk, Uh, the number of points required to draw any given hunt, um, those reflect pretty closely the trophy potential of a unit. So I'll give you an example. If I wait to draw an elk tag in, in Utah and I've got, you know, 16 points and that's going to be the point level that it's going to take me to draw that permit and guarantee me a permit, um the trophy potential of that unit is gonna be pretty reflective of the demand. So they've done a pretty good job, I think, most states of managing their elk herds so that the trophy potential that exists within that unit is pretty reflective of the odds or the number of points that it takes to to draw that. So you gotta kinda of make a judgment. You gotta kinda of decide uh what do I wanna hunt? Do I wanna wait for the opportunity to chase a very large bull, and if you do, pretty much you're going to have to chase those low odds units or those units that take a really long time to draw. Or you're going to have to, like I said, get creative with uh, the, the the permit that you have in a low uh, easy to draw opportunity and and really dig in and do your research and start to pick that unit apart and maybe find an animal. But again, a lot of the weight a lot of times they're they're a needle in a haystack. Um, you know, when I when I talk about states that are more opportunity states or states that are more quality states uh, for elk, generally speaking, uh, your states that are managed for more quality, meaning the draws are a lot tougher. Uh, I'm talking about states like Utah, Nevada, uh, I would say New Mexico, and most of the elk hunts in a state like Arizona. Uh, Those states manage their elk herds in a way that when you draw a permit, uh, your opportunity to harvest a nice bull to have a good hunt where low pressure exists for the most part. Um, Those are your your states for those, those long, tough draw odds, but really good hunts when you draw them. Uh, when you're looking at opportunity type of states I'm talking more uh, about your states like Colorado uh, Montana general season elk uh, also Utah still does have some general season elk tags including spike only elk and then also some uh, any bull units although those are those are tough hunts and then also perhaps Oregon you know Oregon still got some uh, Roosevelt over-the-counter elk hunting uh, mostly there on the west coast in Oregon. But those are really kind of your best bets for opportunity. Uh, you know, within a state like Colorado, they have both over-the-counter and draw hunts. Some of those hunts are really easy to draw. Uh, certainly the pressure is going to be greater, but you still have the opportunity to to draw a permit where uh, you can get out and, and go hunting. Uh, so you really got to kind of tease those apart. Uh, I would say to a lesser extent, a state like Idaho, Wyoming, uh, Montana draw permits, and then also your Colorado draw permits, those are kind of in that middle ground where I feel like those states, those opportunities to hunt are uh, managed for kind of middle of the road. They've got good quality. It's not great. It's not as great as a you know a Utah elk tag or most of your top tier units in a state like New Mexico or Arizona or you know certainly not Nevada. Uh, but the kind of middle of the road where, you know, you got a reasonable chance of drawing if you apply over a number of years. And then when you get out on the landscape, you know, the the bull hunting is, is actually pretty good. Uh, and you got to kind of tailor these to your style. Uh, there are states where I only apply for the the best of the best. And there are states where You know, I look at them as purely opportunity. Uh, Colorado being, for me, mostly purely opportunity. I'm going to go over there and hunt over-the-counter elk for as long as it exists. Uh, Montana, I kind of look at it that middle road. I feel like every maybe four or five, six years, I can draw one of those archery special limited quota permits and go up and have a pretty good hunt. It's not going to be top-tier Nevada, but it's still going to be a pretty good hunt. Uh, So you got to kind of have a mixed bag of opportunity, uh, and trophy, and then some of that middle ground, and I think if you do that as you go along, you kind of build a strategy where you get an opportunity to go hunting year after year, uh, and you got to kind of do all three. I think you also got to be willing to travel. Uh, going to mule deer, uh, I feel like the number of points required to draw uh, is less reflective of the opportunity. And let me let me see if I can explain this. So. There are very few hunts in the West for mule deer where I feel like the trophy potential is equal to the number of points that it's required to draw. Now, there are some examples. You've got your limited quota, limited entry hunts in Utah for a unit like the Ponsagon or the Henrys, uh, you know, maybe the Oak Creek um, you know, you've got some units in Arizona that are pretty historically phenomenal for, tr- you know, producing trophy animals, including the Arizona Strip or the Kaibab. Um, you know, there's a few of them out there. You know, there's a, you know, Unit 44 maybe in, in Colorado for those late season hunts. Those require a ton of points to draw. And I think your opportunity to harvest a really big buck are pretty good. I think it's, it's kind of equal to the number of points that it takes to draw but for the most part i think to a much lesser extent uh i think mule deer are i think there's better opportunity to kill a nice mule deer buck with less points um you know i, I think every single year there's some really nice bucks taking in in southern utah in general season units uh, even some of the northern units. And and maybe we're a little bit down right now. Our population's not doing quite as good as it used to. You know, every single year in, you know, units in Nevada that aren't your premier, not your 241s or, you know, your 231s, there's some really nice bucks that are taken in you know, units that are not those premier units. You know, Idaho has a ton of general season deer hunting. They've got some draw permits also. Um, where some really nice bucks are taken annually that, you know, may may have pretty decent odds or may not require that many points. Um, you know, Wyoming, some of the units that require the most points, I feel like the last few years have really not reflected uh, the number of, of points that it takes to draw those. So I would say, you know, maybe don't be as stingy with your mule points in the West, unless you got a lot of them uh my opinion would be to really try to look at going hunting in that maybe zero to five year time frame uh in those states in some states it's just not feasible i mean your draw odds in a state like nevada are are pretty low regardless but you know utah for general season deer colorado you know there's a lot of deer hunts that you can draw within that maybe zero to eight point window I just feel like you're better off if your objective is to kill a really big buck and getting a permit and getting a chance to go hunting year after year versus waiting 15, 20 years to draw one permit for one unit when I think reality, I think a lot of guys, even on those premier hunts, they go out and they shoot a, you know, 170 inch buck because that's what's available and it's really tough to find those really really big deer and i've talked to a lot of people over the years that have been you know disappointed with really good tags uh just because they they didn't find the buck they were looking for in reality they probably could have gone two or three other times in easier to draw units and and had uh increased chances of maybe coming up with a a bigger buck that way so for mule deer Uh, I would say generally in the West, you know, our numbers are kind of down. Our trophy potential is kind of down. There's still some nice bucks around if you're willing to to hunt hard and kind of dig them out. But I would say don't worry as much about, you know, building a pile of points. I just don't think those units are, are as reflective of the trophy potential in them as it might be for a species like elk. Uh, So kind of think about that. Uh, Lastly, I was going to touch on antelope because, like I said, your bread and butter species are going to be deer, elk, and antelope. Um, You know, your number one producing antelope state is going to be a state like Wyoming. Uh, Their numbers are down, and I would anticipate, you know, the draw odds being still pretty stiff this year because they did have a massive winter kill last year. Uh, But that still is your best chance to uh, go antelope hunting. And I would highly suggest you guys apply for antelope in Wyoming, Um, build points, definitely build preference points in Wyoming for antelope, even if you want to bank those and wait for those herds to rebound and then get a chance to go on a hunt further down the road. I think it's definitely worth it. Uh, I think people overlook a lot of states like Colorado for antelope. Uh, You know, there's decent numbers of antelope in Colorado. There's not a ton of public land in areas where the bulks of their herds exist, but there are still some opportunities. You gotta really dig in, do your research, you gotta look at land ownership and you gotta, you know, make some phone calls to biologists, start putting your name out there and talking to other hunters and find those opportunities. I know for me, um, for a lot of years I didn't build points for antelope in Colorado. And the more I started poking around in the state on other hunts like elk and mule deer, I started to see these antelope in areas and I really was kicking my own butt that I hadn't started building antelope points sooner or even just built a few of them and gone on a hunt. Uh, So I would say don't overlook a state like Colorado. Don't overlook a state like Idaho for antelope. Uh, There's some areas where you can still draw an antelope tag for archery archery equipment um, that's unlimited. Essentially, all you have to do is apply for it and you're guaranteed to draw that permit. you know there are some draw units that have pretty decent odds, especially if you're willing to hunt with some of those more primitive weapons. Uh, New Mexico, they kill giant antelope down there, and again that's a completely random draw. Uh, Nevada is a really good trophy antelope state. Odds are pretty tough, but again if you're going to apply for all the species, you might as well throw your application and build points for antelope. Uh, I drew an antelope tag in Nevada a few years ago, and had a great hunt. and Again, I didn't have that many points. I think I only had maybe four or five. And, you know, just got lucky and drew a random permit. So you never really know. And like I said, I always throw my application in there just because of the random component of that draw. And, you know, should you draw a permit, you can have a really good opportunity to kill a great buck. Uh, Utah. Utah's got pretty decent antelope hunting. And, again, as a non-resident, you can apply for all species. You might as well throw your name in for antelope Build those points, you know, eventually you'll get a chance to go hunting. So Montana also, Montana, I can't forget Montana. They've got really good antelope populations up there. Also, the archery antelope tag up there is still relatively easy to draw. It might take you a point, maybe two points, but within a couple years, you can get a chance to go up there and hunt archery antelope. Uh, Some of the rifle tags are tougher to draw, but again, you play the game, you build the points, you continue to apply, and you get a chance to get a permit and go hunting in some state, every single year. So those are kind of the questions. Um, hopefully, I felt like I rambled a lot, and I don't know how, how uh, composed I was in this podcast at trying to get all this information out to you. Um, I'm sure that you all, if you listen to it, you've probably got an absolute pile of questions, so don't hesitate to hit me up. Um, I wanted to really set home the point that our Go Hunt Insider Research Platform It was built to tackle this exact scenario. Um, You know, Lorenzo, when he put this thing together, he was living in Montana and he'd moved from Nevada. He'd gone up there to go to school and he looked at the complexity across the West of getting hunting permits and all this information that you got to be able to know and kind of work with in order to apply and draw permits or buy a permit over the counter. He looked at it and he thought, man, this is so complex. There's got to be a better way to do this. So that's why GoHunt exists. We built the platform to solve that problem. We've given people everything that they need in order to understand the draw systems, interpret them, then apply, and then year after year know where to apply and build a strategy so that over time you always get a chance to go hunting Um, I've been doing this for 20 years I I guess a lot of it on my own I've worked here for I want to say seven years Uh, prior to that I was just maintaining a spreadsheet of my own with you know my points and I was going into the various state reports and trying to filter all, look through all the data and the information and make the best choice for myself. Uh, All that exists now within your insider account. Things that are so, so simple to use, uh, including looking at trends of harvest success, trophy potential, you know, you can use maps, go hunt maps right there in conjunction with the filtering and the draw odds to find areas that have the most public land, the best access, or maybe, you know, the most remote country if you like to backpack hunt. All these things that exist uh, that's so easy to use. I mean, we really we really live in a, a pretty cool time where so much information is available to you. You got to do just like a little bit of work to start to filter through it and understand it and put it into uh, an actual working plan. But all of it is there. It exists for you. Uh, I would highly suggest you guys, you know, don't stay home. Go out and go hunting every fall because there's definitely more than enough opportunity to do so. Uh, you just got to put a plan in place, and that Go Hunt Insider product is is built. I mean, it really is built for it. So uh, I hope I didn't cause more confusion than I did. Uh, answer some questions. Hopefully, I gave people something to think about. I'll probably do some follow-ups on this. I think it's always a little bit easier to to have a guest where a guest can kind of ask you questions and. I can help them kind of understand and i think through that i think people get a much better understanding and they answer some of their questions uh as well but um hopefully you got something out of it uh and like i said i'm back i'm gonna have some guests on in the future uh shoot me a message drop me a dm shoot me an email um it's just trial at com. hopefully i can help you guys out but my my goal i think of this podcast was just to, to let you know you know some of the the details Uh, and then also that it's totally possible, totally feasible to get a permit, come out West and go hunting. Uh, so don't waste time. Just jump in, ask the question, do the research and get a chance to draw a permit and go hunting in 2024. So with that, I'm going to wrap. Um, look forward to talking to you guys next week.